that um, I asked my son, Jake Norton, to come tonight and tell us what the Lord's told him. Uh, I was getting less nervous, and then he and then he did that. <laughs> well, anyway, um, please turn by bowls to uh, Joshua chapter four, verse nine. Okay. When you're there, please say amen. Amen. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the Ark of the Covenant, stood, and they are there unto this day. Can I ask, uh, please pray? Okay, now I'm going to start off with uh, something I thought about it for a little while, a story about uh, back in the, back when people was fighting for Texas, back before it was a state, when it was a country, and they was trying to fight between, it was a fight between Mexicans and the people who owned Texas at the time. It was there was one battle that was determining it all. A battle over a place called the Alamo. Now it starts out with this guy, William Travis, a very young colonel South from South Carolina. He's facing an army with only 187 men. And then uh, he, except for just a handful of men who've been with him, and majority of the defenders they was not professionals. They were San Antonio citizens, both Mexican-Americans, farmers who stayed to defend the land they worked so hard to call their own. And it was this man, Travis, with these 187 men, was up against thousands, and they were performing nothing less than a miracle, knowing that the Independence Convention was underway and that Texas needed time to raise an army. Travis told the man... And he was against to hold off as long as possible. He could have ignored this, these people altogether. March right past when caught the Texans off guard before they could organize themselves. Instead, played right into Travis's hands, devoting 4,000 soldiers in 13 days to defeat the Texans inside the Alamo. And it was Travis's letters, above anything else, that give us our only first-hand glimpse inside the fortress during those 13 days. Was probably scared to death. Kind of like I'm feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Through him we see hope, futility, blind determination of a group of men who stood, died for something they believed in. 
Many of these letters were requests for aid that never came. On the second day of the siege, he wrote what would become the most famous of these letters. To the people of Texas and all Americans of the world, fellow citizens and compatriots, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and, and whatever how you say that word, <laughs> cannonade for 24 hours, and I ain't lost a man yet. Enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are be to put to the sword. If this fort is taken, I have answered the demand for the cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly. From the walls, I will never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, patriotism, and everything else to the dear American character to come to our aid. With all dispatch, the enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days. This call is not is, ne is neglected. I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. William Travis. As the days dragged on, enemy forces grew. Travis knew that the end was near. By the tenth day of the siege, although angry that his calls for assistance had gone unheeded, his pride in his men and determination for their cause had not faltered. In a letter addressed to the Independence Convention, he wrote, I feel confident that the determined valor and desperate courage heretofore evinced by my men will not fail them in the last struggle. Although they may be sacrificed to the vengeance of an awful enemy, the victory will cost the enemy so dear that it will be worse for him than a defeat. As the days dragged on, enemy forces grew. Travis knew that the end was near. By the tenth day of the siege, although angry, his cost resistance had gone unheeded. His pride in his men determined for the cause. Fault. I, I accidentally wrote that twice, didn't I? <laughs> By the twelfth day, he knew his time was running out. That Saturday evening, the sun began to set. He stood before the tired group of Texans who had gathered in the courtyard of the Alamo Chapel. William Travis drew his sword from his sheath, drew a line in the sand with its tip, and offered his man a final choice. He offered the chance to escape the fortress before it was too late, with the promise that they would go with his blessing. A single Frenchman took him up on the offer. Travis was true to his word with a handshake, bid him safe passage through the enemy lines. Then he turned to the rest of his men. Those who prepared to give your lives for freedom's cause, come to me. Every last man... But for one, crossed the line that day, including the ailing Jim Bowie, who asked that his cot be carried across. Every last man would lie dead somewhere in the compound by the dawn of the next day. But that night, they took their rightful place as some of the most courageous freedom fighters in the course of human history. Travis had been right. Texas declared its independence. Sam Houston had become to raise an army by the time the Alamo finally fell. 187 defenders had not lived to see it, but they had ensured Santa Ana's defeat later at San Jacinto by giving Texas what it needed most, time. The battle that Sam Houston just won, that I told you about, he began it with saying, remember the Alamo. He was saying to remember the ones who fought long and hard before them, to prepare the way for them, even though they knew it was impossible to win. Because of that message to his men, Sam won the battle in 18 minutes. Now, um, 
I want to tell you about uh, that story that I started out with. Those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua pitched in Gilgal. He spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask your fathers in time to come, what mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you, until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did go to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. The Israelites just finished 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Joshua wanted him, his people, and his people's children and grandchildren, and all the generations that would follow them to know what God had done for them. These stories are not so different in the fact that a great leader was trying to get people to remember and learn from the heroes of the past. I might not be a great leader, but I'm here to say the same thing. When you remember, learn from the great people who went before us and made our walk as Christians easier, giving us their example. We need to remember and learn from people like Bogonona Freeman, started many churches, preached many revivals here in the U.S. When Africa's missionaries doing the same thing, they probably had less money when they did, went over to Africa, too. They, and then when they was done with that, they, God called them back to America. Tell people about him here. Through all this, they never lost their faith in God because he proved to be faithful to them over and over again. I'm going to give you two examples of times that gave them more faith. First, they, they had to take church in the U.S., Last pastor taught them that tithes and offering was a sin. Well, thanks to that, Freemans now lost their source of income. Thanks to God's provision, they always have enough to get by through this entire time. Yeah, well, next thing, the time they were in Africa, they suddenly run out of food. What do they do? Well, these people don't worry. They're just a little too smart for that. They, um, they said pray. Pretty soon, some delivery boy shows up on a bicycle with a basket of food envelope addressed to him. Don't say where it came from. They don't have to wonder. They know it came from God. Amen. So many more miracles, many even greater than these I just told you about, showed them they shouldn't worry about anything. God, they knew because God was with them. Everything was going to be all right. We also remember men like Bill Drost. He, Became a Christian when he was just a young boy. And his mother beat him with a broom for becoming the type of Christian he became. He ends up being sent to the army. He stays firm believing in Christ through it all. Makes it out alive. Later becomes some mighty strong man of God. Excellent preacher. Despite the fact there's a lot of opposition presented to him all through his life. No matter what. He stayed with God. We need to be the same way. Also, plenty of people in the Bible you need to learn from. I mention a few of my personal favorites. I just like to talk about Paul. Paul was a Christian first century. Right after the Holy Ghost fell, this he became a Christian uh, when he was trying to kill people. He was trying to kill all these Christians. He worked for the government, you know, government then they, they was killing everyone who was believer in Jesus. He as he was going down Damascus, suddenly there was light all around him, light from heaven. 
He fell down on the ground, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus. The, person you're per the one you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He trembled, astonished. Lord, what are you going to do to have me do? God said to him, to him, Rise, go in the city. It will be told. I'll tell you what you need to do. Man was with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul rose from the earth. His eyes were open. He saw no man. He was blind. They led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight. He didn't eat or drink the whole time. There was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And God said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am. Lord said to him, Rise, go on the street which is called Straight Street. Inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul, Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named you, and he's seen you in a vision coming to him, putting your hand on him so he's going to receive his sight. And I said, God, I've heard by many people about this guy. I mean, haven't you heard he's killing everyone? <laughs> I ain't gonna, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and he's got authority with chief priests to bind everyone who calls on you. God said to him, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, children of Israel. I'm going to show him great things you must suffer for my name's sake. And nice went his way, entered in the house, put his hand on him, said, Brother Saul, Lord, Jesus has appeared unto you in a way as thou comest, and he sent me that you can receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately there fell from his eyes as if it had been scales in his eyes. He received his sight and arose and was baptized. Saul so later on changed his name to Paul, became a missionary, preaching all over the place, starting churches. Fortunately, after this, things did not just become bad roses. Never does, does it? He still didn't give... He's, he still didn't give up, even though he has to escape being killed over and over. I don't know how many times, how many ways he escaped. Finally ended up in prison, though. He still continues his ministry. Fills up most of the Old Testament, those letters that he wrote to his churches. Well, well, they said they didn't like that either, I guess, because they ended up just beheading him. He died. He died for what he believed. We really need to learn from people like Paul. Don't care what happens to us, no matter what happens. <laughs> Next up, there's also a man named Peter. He preached on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to tell him more about that later. Peter went through his share of trouble, too. Eventually, he preached a lot the same as Paul, being an evangelist, going all over the place, preaching to everyone, probably even some of Paul's churches. Yeah, well... They ended up crucifying him. He died on a cross. He said they had turned it upside down, though. He, he didn't deserve to die with a right setup like that. He, he knew he wasn't as good as God. 
who who died that way, he said, you're going to have to do this. Not worthy to die the same way as my Lord. We also need to learn from men like John. He couldn't even kill John because he still had work for him to do. They sent him off to the Isle of Patmos. He has to live out the rest of his life there. God gives him a vision, though, one of the most popular in the whole Bible. He, we know it as the book of Revelation, in case you're wondering. Men didn't care what they had to go through. They knew it wouldn't be easy. God told them it would be hard. One of the things we need to learn from these people is fight the good fight. Finish your course. Keep the faith. I want to tell you one last story. I'll be done. You come away with this message, just one thing. Let it be this story about this man, Jesus. What makes this man greater than any of the rest? Simple. He's God. He is God, wrapped up in human flesh, come to earth, born to a virgin named Mary. When he was 12, his parents found him teaching in the temple. See, we're telling you young people can't preach. <laughs> his parents found him teaching in the temple. They took him home, or his earthly father taught him how to be a carpenter. Did this for the next 18 years of his life. Wonder what Jesus might have been like if they hadn't done that. <laughs> well, anyway, story picks back up when he's 30 years old. He begins his ministry on earth. Ministry of healing the sick, casting out demons, performing miracles, preaching his message of love for all humans. He continues ministry for the next three years, telling people to love each other, tell other people about him. He's teaching great life lessons. Fortunately, not everyone liked him. Let's face it, people are good. No one always li- no one likes him. Not everyone likes him. Not everyone believes him. Especially if he preaches against the way they're doing things, like he was to the high priests and religious leaders. So they said, they want to kill him. Send him to an unfair trial. Make fun of him. Shove thorns into his head. Whip him. Nail him to a cross where he dies. That's not the, how the story ends, though. Three days later, an angel's at the tomb. Rolls away the stone that's over his grave. Jesus steps out of the tomb. He's conquered death just like he said he would. He later tells his disciples he's got to leave, though. But he's not going to leave them without a comfort. He's going to send them a comforter until he returns. That's filled in the book of Acts. Right here. When the day of Pentecost fully come, all in one accord in one place, suddenly came a sound of heaven. Rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. Then there appeared in them cloven tongues of fire set upon each of them. All filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak with their tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this noise is broad. Multitude came together and they are like, Hey, ain't these people, these ain't the type of people who's able to speak our language. How come every one of us hears our own language? How do we hear every man in our own tongue where we was born? And there's people all over the world there. They're amazed, doubt, saying one another, what means this? Other people saying, oh, they're just drunk. Peter stands up for the eleven, lifts up his voice and says unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken my words. These are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it's the third hour of the day. But this is that was spoken by the prophet Joel. Shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, 
pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Your old men are going to be dreaming dreams. And on my servants and my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. <sighs> and when they heard this, they pricked in their hearts, saying to Peter, rest of the apostles, men, brethren, what shall we do? Peter says unto them, Pent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for mission of sins, shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But the promise is unto you and your children and everyone who is afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. And with many other words, he testifies and exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they gladly received his word, were baptized. The same day there were added them about 3,000 souls. He continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. Well, we need to do that some here. We need a good old-fashioned revival down here. We need to remember where we come from. Where we come from was this message. That's where our belief come from. It became from come from Jesus, Book of Acts ministry. We need that here. We need that today. We need it now. Anyone here wants to renew that wants to renew that power within them? Yes. Anyone want to come up here maybe? Yes. Anyone want to renew that? Amen. Anyone want to realize where you come from? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm done. Amen.